Good evening, Browns fans, and welcome to OBR Weekly for June 29th, 2021. My name is Barry McBride. I am the publisher and tame web dork of the OBR. And uh, with me, as always, is the legend, Freddie Greetham. How you doing, Fred? Doing great. Raring to go on this so much news and information <laughs> happening here in yeah, the we last can... week of June. One month from training camp. I think it's one month from like yesterday. Yeah, we got one month to talk about, uh, you know, other people's articles and things like that until we can get back to the real news uh, and uh, get you reporting from training camp and get your insights into what you see out there. It'll be great. Uh, from my part, uh, you know, two uh, notifications to the uh, group. Uh, one is, yes, woof, 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 indeed, Mr. Jericho-holic. Uh, one is, uh, I promise to drink bourbon during each of these. And uh, today, because I've got about three hours sleep, I'm drinking coffee. But uh, I did put some Jameson cold brew in it. So I think I've saved it. But that'll help keep me awake because... Uh, uh, I got like three hours sleep last night. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, if I fall over during the course of this show, just keep going on your own, Fred. Care. I usually do. <laughs> always, always dependent on you to carry us over the finish line. All right, let's talk a little bit about news, such as it is. A little quote marks there. Um, we got a couple different items, but uh, as always. We are dependent on your comments and your questions in the chat room, uh, as, uh, as we've always said. Um, and uh, I'm going to click this to see exactly what I said. Uh, so fire off any Browns questions you have to us. We'll do our best to answer. Or other questions. We don't care. We're not particular this time of year. Uh, we're just here to talk Browns football and anything else that's on the mind of of Browns fans. So let's rock and roll. Uh, first news item, uh, in quotes, uh, former Jets and Dolphins GM Mike Tannenbaum appears to have a thing for Baker Mayfield. He has been running around the planet talking to anyone who will listen, which apparently includes ESPN, that Baker Mayfield is a system quarterback and what he calls a replaceable part. Uh, this is a quote from Tannenbaum's latest uh, tirade. He says, when you look at Kevin Stefanski's track record, they won in Minnesota with Case Keenum. They won with Kirk Cousins. Baker Mayfield is very much a replaceable part. He's had one productive season out of three. Uh, I, I, don't disagree, I don't agree with that right there. But continues, that is not greatness at the quarterback position. At best, he's the fifth best quarterback in the AFC. So, uh, system quarterback... Uh, I'm not sure where that came from because I remember a very successful quarterback in 2018 playing under a completely different system. Uh, he just didn't play well during the season that uh, <laughs> there were disasters on the offensive line and on the sidelines at the coaching staff. Um, any of that that you agree with, Fred? There um, are parts that I agree with, but um, first off, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, buy hook, line, and sink or a failed GM who, who had did really nothing with the Jets but, but tear them down and uh, make a lot of wrong choices. 
Um, but as far as I do agree that the system is key. I've said this several times here is that Case Keenum, you know, is a journeyman quarterback, but had his best year with the Vikings under Stefanski in this type of system. I think he had 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions. There's nothing wrong with that is playing to the strengths of your players and to your quarterback. But as far as Mayfield, I think it's still it's still a little early to to just label him a system quarterback. Last year, in the second half of the season, he was much more than a system quarterback. He started spreading the ball around and playing mm-hmm. a lot better. And this is the first year he's he's had the same head coach. He's had the same offensive system. He's had the right. same offensive coordinator. And so I want to give a little leeway and see as they expand things, if he can be more than that. In the Bengals game, he did show me that he can take a team down and win, win you know, in a game-winning drive and mm-hmm. let them down the field and through that touchdown pass to Peoples-Jones with 11 seconds to go. You just want to see more of it when the – is there a game? Is he going to be able to carry the team when everything else stalls out? So I think there's still some questions – but I think it's too early to just call him a system quarterback. He rose way up the charts. You know, when he went from 30th in the NFL at the midseason to 15th overall in quarterback rating um, Mm -hmm. in the second half of the season, if he started the year and where he left off and played the whole year that way, I think it would be much more than a system quarterback. But, yeah, he's going to have to pick up where he left off and play well this year. So, um I think there are, you could see that because of the track record. I do think that that's one of the reasons I felt it was so important to keep Case Keenum. We had people on here say, dump him, save the $6 million. Well, I right. think I think with this roster, that's the last thing you want to do is turn it over to Kyle Aletta, you know, when you got a guy that can't really get the ball to the, to the playmakers. So at least, you know, Keenum. If you need him, you have him. And I would expect him to play competently because he's very familiar with his system and he's done it before. So you hope it doesn't get there. But with that said, I think, yeah, the onus is on Mayfield. He said he, he's he's always bet on himself, and there's no reason to think that he won't pick up where he left off last year. You know, the more I think about it, the more there seems to be a logical fallacy in what Tannenbaum says, you know. Um, first of all, he's factually incorrect. 2018 was not a horrible season for Baker Mayfield playing under a completely different system. Uh, you know, the, the fact that Stefanski is a good coach and specifically a good quarterback coach does not mean that Baker Mayfield is necessarily not a good quarterback himself, right? You know, it, it, it we'll see this year if the two together equals greatness, Right. Um, but it's, I, I agree with you. It's just too early to say. And gee, you know, the notion that he's a system quarterback is does Lincoln Riley have the same system down in Oklahoma that Kevin Stefanski does up in Cleveland? I think there's a few differences, you know, here and there. And he was very successful under that system uh, at the college level. So I'm just, I, I think it's just some guy looking for attention, trying to make his name for himself as an analyst or hot take artist or whatever. At the same time, Joe Banner is now out there saying that the Browns should sign 
uh, Baker Mayfield now that he's the guy. And I don't know which failed GM to believe. I, I, I guess I, I believe Joe Banner uh, at this point more than Mike Tannenbaum. But uh, uh, I don't lend much credence to either of them, frankly. Uh, news item number two, uh, alternative helmets. The NFL has come out and said that in addition to the alternative uniforms that teams can wear, they can also now have alternative helmets. Uh, I have gone on record a number of times as saying I am not uniform guy. Uh, I'm not really fired up about all that. But the notion of, you know, the Browns rocking some different helmets, you know, from the from the uh, uh, from the orange ones uh, is kind of intriguing. Uh, what about you, Fred? Would you like to see them uh, wearing those white helmets, or do you just not care at all about this sort of thing? I don't care a whole lot, but I want to see them go back to the no face mask and uh, <laughs> leather leather helmets. You know, you know, Jake had that story on the. I forgot that the Browns had numbers between 2006 and eight. I don't even remember that era. That's the blur that went through there. But I do remember Jim Brown as a rookie, 57, 58, 59 is when they had numbers on their helmets. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm more orange guy, but as far as if they're going to, you know, of, of the throwback, I would like to see the white ones, I think, more so than uh you know, you can't do a whole lot with white or orange. Those are pretty much your only options. I'm, I'm more interested in seeing the real creative Bengals ones. If you remember when they first came, they copied everything brown. Right. It was right. it was basically orange and brown, but then they kind of morphed into black. But they had of Bengals just had B E N G A L S right. on their helmet. You know, it's like, right. are you kidding me? Why couldn't you put the tiger on there? You know, to begin with, that would have been cool. You know. Bengals, you just write it out. I mean, Browns, you can't do much else other than Elf. But yeah, right. Um, so no, I, I think I think the white ones would look cool. But I'm not that much. I'm more into the product on the field than yeah. than the product they're trying to sell. You know, that's what this is all about. Is so now you got to go out and buy more memorabilia. You know, like the mm -hmm. the white yeah. helmets. You know, and and the throwback jerseys and all that kind of stuff. Then you have guys sign white helmets, and uh, that'd be even more valuable. And yeah, I uh, they could they could wear the same uniform they had back in 1985, and never have tweaked it, never have changed it, and I would be perfectly happy. Uh, it's just not not that big a deal for me. I don't root for well, my the uniforms, whole thing I root is for the team. When the team came back, they went out and spent a lot of money to get a big marketing guy. You know, I won't say his name, but they spent millions of dollars on marketing and this and trying to get mm -hmm. people excited. The product was terrible. All as I said, it didn't matter. Just win like the Al Davis, just win baby. Right. Browns fans have, you'll see it this year. They just want to see you win. You know, they don't care what you look like. And that's why in 85, it didn't matter what they were wearing. You know, it's, it's all about winning. That's the number one marketing campaign in the world. And they try to trick people into buying stuff and buying tickets. And, well, if you just win, you don't have to worry about that. And so product sells that, itself. Absolutely. And so that's that's where I think they finally caught on that if you win and you put together a team that everybody wants to watch, everything will be sold out all the time. 
Right, right. Uh, in Cleveland, there's no shortage of appetite for football, but uh, the product they put on the field during the expansion years uh, was kind of nauseating. And I mean, it was tough sitting there in the stands and being the only person left, uh, uh, you know, in your section by the end of the game because everybody's bailed out. I mean, it's just not, just not fun, right? And who's going to pay for that? Uh, well, yeah, I rate. always said, I always said if I didn't get paid to do this, I wouldn't watch it because I'd watch games, you know, particularly the first three, four years back, you know, under Chris mm-hmm. Palmer. And I'm like, I'd go home and watch a game and I'm like, they're playing different sport than the Browns do. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, wow, is this bad? You know, I've saw, I've seen so much bad football in the first 20 some years of that team coming back with the exception of once in a while, decent team but very few and so yeah it's a it's it'd be refreshing i think that's why everybody bought the hype two years ago because of what they did in mayfield's rookie year and and i was Mm -hmm. a proponent to bring kitchens back because if it's not broke don't fix it you know they were they were averaging 26 points a game under kitchens and mayfield and for whatever reason they didn't you know they didn't bring back the same thing but there was so much hype making the OBJ trade and everything that everybody was set up for failure. I see, you know, much more depth this year and a, and really legitimate players on this team. And that's why I'm excited is that sure you're going to have injuries, but I think they can withstand um, more injuries than they, they have in any of the years that I've watched this team. You know, that leads me to uh, another article that we're going to talk about uh, from uh, someone else and decide whether or not it's ridiculous. This one comes from NFL.com, a guy by the name of Mark Ross. Uh, He uh, apparently went through all the rosters in the league, and in his expert opinion, the Browns have the most complete roster in the league, he says. Um I don't know how I feel about that. I, I doubt that this guy watched 500 hours of tape before making that prediction. I think he probably just went through and said, uh, you know, here's, uh, you know, uh, here's who I think is uh, better, you know, at defensive tackle or whatever. But at any rate, you know, that sets a very high standard at a national level for the Browns, you know, and, and challenges Stefanski. If you have the most complete roster in the league, then uh, – you sure had better produce. Uh, Fred, uh, given what you know of the league and what you know of this team, would you agree with that assessment, that they have the most complete roster in the league? Well, I haven't studied all the other teams' rosters. Um, You know, when you think of the Rams, you think of their defense was number one in the NFL. I know that adding John Johnson and Troy Hill, two starters off that team, and, and the signal caller, that, that helps the Browns and hurts the Rams. Their offense, you know, they added Matthew Stafford, which I think will probably help them a lot. But as far as I, I think the Tampa Bay has a pretty good roster of names. Now maybe they're on the older side of the equation. But, you know, all the way around in the AFC, it's hard to, you know, say that the Kansas City Chiefs, especially in offense, you know, aren't, aren't a team to be reckoned with. And, and the Ravens always have a good roster. But I think the Browns are right there on paper. It's going to, you know, I'm, I'm expecting them that defense to be 
completely night and day different than it was last year, which yeah. I was a big critic of the whole year. And Andrew Barry went out and I've never seen such a turnover, you know, a team that went two games into the playoffs and is going to probably start eight or nine out of 11 new guys on defense. You'd think, wow, that's a rebuild. No, that's a major upgrade. And, mm -hmm. uh, most every one of them will be better than the guy that went was out there last year. So, no, I, I think the Browns are right there. I'm not ready to crown them. I think there's too much talk about, you know, on paper. You know, remember a few years ago when the Eagles declared they were like the best team ever, you yes. know, assembled. And, right. And they had a, a big flop of a year. The good thing, I think, Stefanski will keep them grounded. I think. Freddie Kitchens kind of played into the hype instead of playing it down. And the players bought into that. I think that Stefanski, I mean, you can just see the way every day he's just a flatliner. I don't mm -hmm. think the players are going to have time to, to think that they are all that, you know, I just think that they have a nice mix of young guys as well as veteran leadership. So we'll see, but I, I'm not ready to say yet they have the best roster in the NFL. All right. Um, let's go to the chat room. Uh, as always, we are dependent on your questions uh, in order to uh, keep this show uh, moving along. Uh, because if we're overly dependent on me, it just it gets too Barry-like. So let's go to uh, Jim Allen in the chat room. And he, he asks us, outside of Jarvis and OBJ, which receiver do you see having the best year and why? So outside of Jarvis and OBJ, who do we think the standout's going to be? Well, I think we're talking limiting pretty much to the wideouts and not the tight ends or the backs. So at the wide receiver, right. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to have a breakout year. I think he's going to emerge as the number three receiver. I mean, I know Richard Higgins is dependable, and you know what you have with him. He very well could be. And Kaderil Hodge has kind of been kind of an enigma. He was the number three receiver behind Landry and Beckham until Beckham got hurt. And uh, Higgins moved into the starter. Hodge had some issues where he was injured, COVID and so forth. But I think Donovan Peoples-Jones has the best potential to leapfrog into the number three because he's got the size and, and he's got the speed. And he's also, I think, I think he was a great value coming out of Michigan, underused in that system and uh, i just think that that he has the upside that you're looking for and i think that he will be key in their decisions for 2022 you know they mm -hmm. got to decide do they bring back and a lot of it will be depend on how it goes this year but if if it's worth bringing back obj and landry at 31 32 million and if people's jones can can play as well as one or the other, then that makes the decision a little e easier because you do have to have, you know, you have to have some up and coming guys. And right. uh, so I'm anxious to see how he does, but I think that, you know, from all the guys I've talked to and seeing him a little bit in mini camp, I'm excited about his, his future and his potential. Yeah. I, uh, I was hoping you'd go somewhere else with that because I wanted to say DPGA, but, uh, I agree with you 100%. I think he's going to be an exciting player to watch this year and certainly has a lot of potential to have a breakout season that could impact 
uh, as you said, Fred, the decision-making uh, along uh, down the road. Steve C. asks, what are your passing predictions for Baker this upcoming year? Uh, what are your passing predictions for Baker this upcoming year, Fred? Well, you know, I wrote about that, my projections a couple weeks ago, I think, or a week ago, um, about the quarterback position. We started our position-by-position projection, and I don't have it in front of me, but um, last year, you know, he finished with with like 26 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, but he had 11 touchdowns and one interception in the second half of the season, not counting the playoffs. I expect him to pick up where he left off. I think I don't think he's going to be, you know, only three, four, five interceptions for the season. Right. But I want to see him complete in the area of 63, 64% of his passes. I think I had him going over 4,000 yards for the first time in his career. There's no reason that he shouldn't. I know this is an offense that's supposed to be predicated more on the run, but I think teams are going to load up and try to stop the run and make him throw. And he's got plenty of weapons out there, and I think he should flourish. And so I have him a little over 4,000 yards, like 4,100 with 30, 31, 32 touchdowns and, uh, you know, maybe a half a dozen, you know, interceptions. I think he's going to have a good year, a breakout year. Well, uh, I hope that that prediction comes true. I I don't think Baker's going to have, you know, real scary uh, um, because he's not going to have real scary stats because the team runs the ball so well, right? This is not a team that has to throw on every single down. Uh, I think you're right that they'll load up to try to stop them, but uh, I'm not sure it's going to make a ton of difference uh, at the end of the day given the quality of that offensive line. Uh, Walt Stillwell. Well, let me uh, let me ahead. let me say something else. Um, I don't know to raise my hand or what, but um, <laughs> as far as when I looked at his game by games, when you look back, some of the best games he had last year, he didn't have very good stats. He was like fourteen for twenty-one with two mm-hmm. touchdowns, no interceptions, and they won big. And so you can't always go. If you look at from the fantasy football perspective, he might not be the type of guy that you'd want. There's going to be games that they're going to rely on him. He's going to have to win a game on his arm and his legs. The best thing that he did later in the season last year, he started to run. And he didn't do that before. I think it was built into him to just to just go down and and don't try to run. But now I think he was getting more and more comfortable and he was doing what he did in Oklahoma. He's never going to be mistaken for Lamar Jackson, but if he can add that element and run out of the pocket and get a first down, you know, on third and five or third and six and run Mm -hmm. to the sideline, I think that can be a whole new dimension. If you look at his stats last year, he had like, I can't even remember exactly, but he had like, you know, 35 runs and most of them were in the second half of the season, you know, like he only had four or five in the first. And so he was picking his spots and maybe bootlegging away and running for six, seven yards out of bounds. If he can continue to do that, it'll go a long way in this offense. All right. 
Well, Steve C. in the chat room says he thinks Baker will go 4,050 uh, yards, 33 TDs, and nine interceptions. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to save that off somewhere and see how we stand at the end of the year. Uh, Walt Stillwell asks us in the chat room, he says, do you think there'll be a lot of pressure to make a big play from the defensive tackle position in the preseason? I'm assuming that's because of the level of competition at that particular position. Um, do you think those preseason games will make a difference there uh, if somebody makes a big play? I do. I mean, because last year, because of COVID and no preseason, um, they were just really had training camp to get the guys ready for the season, especially with Stefanski being and his staff were completely new. They were just learning. They were just meeting the players in August for the first time. And so the, the guys that were the veterans that were pegged or they brought in to start or to be contributors got all the practice time and the undrafted guys, the rookies, the end of the roster guys really never got a chance to make any plays. You can't really make a lot of plays in training camp because, you know, you're not hitting or, or going full steam most of the time. Those preseason games are where you, you know, you make or break yourself if you're a, a guy off the radar. And so for three preseason games, I think this is a big chance for a guy like Malik McDowell or Marvin Wilson, Tom, Tommy Togiai, um, you know, Romeo McKnight, um, Curtis Weaver, some of those guys to really show what they have, you know, in making the team. And on the defensive tackle, yeah, I mean, they've, they basically are throwing a bunch against the wall and hoping they can get some to stick to replace Sheldon Richardson because you're going to have two starters replacing Ogunjobi and Richardson. And you figure right now it's Malik Jackson and Andrew Billings. But in the rotation, those guys I mentioned are all going to be battling to be the backups, you know. I think Togiai, because he's a, what, fourth-round pick, you know, mm -hmm. he's in pretty good shape. But a guy like Marvin Wilson, Malik McDowell, um, those are guys that are that are going to try to make plays to, to show that they have a spot not only in the team but on the rotation. Yeah, Togiai in particular has been getting a lot of attention, uh, you know, probably more nationally than locally in terms of being a sleeper uh, among the Browns' uh, draft picks and uh, among the competition at defensive tackle. Uh, will be very interesting to, to watch him uh, and how he uh, winds up in that competition uh, this year. Um, next, not really a question, but a comment from Jen of the Sheep. Uh, he says he listened to Not the Same Old Browns podcast with Andy Enjoy the energy. Great addition to the OBR. Compliments of film breakdown well. Uh, all I can say is uh, keep apprised of coming uh, attractions. Uh, there's a lot on the way from the OBR, uh, both on the web and our traditional format and on uh, video coming up over the course. And we're going to have, uh, of the next couple of months, we're going to have some announcements to make. And I think you guys will dig it. Um, Let's go to Jen's next comment. He says, Jake's around the AFC North pods were great too. Question on them, if they weren't called the Steelers, would we be, we be trashing that roster as a 5-11 team? Uh, the weakness of their O-line and cornerback seem killer. Uh, I'd like to tie this to an article that was in the Newswire this morning 
where Brent Sobleski, our old pal writing for Bleacher Report, uh, says that Ben Roethlisberger has been set up to fail because of the weakness in uh, their offensive line. Uh, Fred, how do you look at the Steelers this year? Um, clearly a lot of talent in that wide receiver core, some good additions at tight end and wide receiver. They still have a lot of talent in that front seven, but uh, where they're weak, they're really weak. Yeah, I mean, last year when they were 11-0, and I mean, on my radio show that's outside of here, but also here, I had said I was the one not buying in um, that they were for real. When they were 11-0, there was talk about undefeated and all that. If I remember right, they lost five of their last six or six of their last seven. Um, and but, but with that said, the Steelers are the Steelers, and they – they have a way to find guys and to fit in that culture they, and be successful. If they're down this year, they won't be down for long. But I do think that the longer they hitch their wagon to Ben Roethlisberger, the longer they're going to be down. Because this is, mm-hmm. in my opinion, he might bounce back and be awesome. But I think the longer they keep him at the quarterback, that means they're not going out and getting somebody else. And uh, that's going to keep their rebuild on hold. I think they're hoping to get another playoff year out of him and then address it. But they didn't address it this year. And I was surprised that they went out and got the shiny object in Najee Harris and not the offensive lineman. Because it wasn't, as Sobo said in that story, wasn't very long ago. That was the the key to their team. Marquise Pouncey, DeCastro, Villanueva. They drafted a bunch of big studs up front, and they lost Villanueva, DeCastro, Pouncey, Filer, almost their entire offensive line. And unless they really find diamonds in the rough that immediately step in solid, Ben Roethlisberger is not going to have time to do much. They're hoping to give the ball to Harris and let him run, but he's not, I'll tell you, I don't know if he'll look like Franco Harris behind this offensive line. And Ben Roethlisberger, in my opinion, what made him so good, he was so big, so strong. I remember watching him against the Browns. Guys would hit him and they'd bounce off him and he would escape and have that and then make a play. Last year, I saw him instead of bouncing off or, trying to escape when he saw the rush he just kind of cowered and went down you know protecting his body and that was a big element to him was that escapability he doesn't Mm -hmm. have that anymore and if he doesn't have escapability that dimension is is finished in my opinion and his arm isn't what it used to be he was throwing almost all in those 68 passes to the against the browns they were all like under 10 yards, you know, everything was dump off. So I tend to agree. I think that that defense will be pretty good. They're getting some guys back healthy, but offensively, I think you should be able to outscore them. Yeah. I think he's going to rue this decision to come back. You know, I, I just don't see them pulling another year, uh, you know, out of Roethlisberger uh, and having this sort of uh, happy ending to his career in Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I would go so far as to say that uh, I would not be shocked if he's not their starting quarterback at the end of the year. Um, I just 
I don't know how he's going to escape injury behind that line, but, you know, we'll see. That's Pittsburgh problem, not mine. And if Pittsburgh stinks, uh, I say let's enjoy it while we can. Uh, because, like you said, Fred, it probably won't be for long. Uh, let's uh, go back to the chat room. And uh, Jim has a question about the tight end position. Uh, he says, who do you guys, how do you guys see the tight end position playing out this season? And uh, I assume that he means by that, you know, who's going to get the most uh, uh, targets uh, on that group? Uh, how often do you expect to see Njoku on the field uh, and so forth? Yeah, in my tight end preview, I think the one that is going to make the biggest impact or rise from last year is David Njoku. He's changed his attitude. He realizes that it does him no good to pout at $6 million this year. And if he goes out and has a breakout season or like he did in his second year in the league when he had 56, 60 catches, you know, he's going to command, you know, big, big money and free agency or the Browns could extend him. I don't know if they would keep him here. But with that said, I think that he, to his credit, put his nose down and started blocking when they were asking him to block at the end of the season and when they played that playoff game against the Chiefs, I think he had the biggest day amongst the receivers. And I think that um, I think he and Hooper, you know, will battle to to have the most targets. I think Harrison Bryant still got some talent. He seemed to hit a wall last year, you know, towards the end of the year. I remember he fumbled, and he seemed like he was never the same. I don't know if he got gun shy or what. I think he'll bounce back and he'll be fine. But I do think Najoku really could have a good year because I said this last year when you on a defense, when they have to count, especially if you have Chubb and Hunt on the field together, they can both catch the ball of the backfield. If you have two tight ends, you got Hooper and Najoku and you got OBJ and Landry. There's five, six, seven pro bowl type players on the field. They, they have to decide who to cover. And you would think, until he shows otherwise, Najoko could be the guy that's getting the fifth, sixth, seventh defender covering him. Mm -hmm. I would take that my chances all day with us with the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh defender covering a guy with that athleticism. And 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 he could he could exploit the defenses big time. But I think he's got the right attitude. He went to the tight end camp. I think he went down with Mayfield. I think he's bought in, you know, and I think Brad's even mm -hmm. talked to him or had some things that he was even open to an extension. So, you mm -hmm. know, that would be, that's what I see. I think he's going to have a chance to have a big year. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back to your DPJ comments, if you had to pick between DPJ and Njoku as the uh, breakout player of the year, uh, would you be able to make a selection there? I still would lean to, people's jones but because mm -hmm. Najoku really had a breakout year in his second year he had 56 catches but that he didn't really have any other tight ends i think darren fells might have been on the team that year right. but um i don't know i don't know you know you look at when i was doing these position reviews you look at all the weapons they all had kind of down years and and it's because I think that's kind of how this offense is. It spreads it around. And so it's more the collection of the whole as opposed to any individual, you know, 
you know, like a Stefan Diggs getting all the action in Buffalo and things like that. I don't think you're right. going to have that here. You know, Hooper had 46 catches. You know, I could see him getting 50, Najoko getting 40, 45. I can see, you know, OBJ and and Landry not having their their major years. And uh, you know, when you even when you spread it around, it dilutes the statistics. So yeah. I think yeah. you can have a big year without maybe having gaudy numbers. Exactly, exactly. And I, I'd like to see Hooper do a little bit better this year. And Harrison Bryant, you know, during training camp this year, my last year, uh, my goodness, I mean, if it was in the air, he would catch it. I mean, he was grabbing everything. And then uh, that just seemed to go away at some point during the season. And uh, like you said, uh uh, maybe, uh, uh, you know, there were some mental games going on there. I don't know. Um, next question from uh, Rick Stamper. And Rick asked, uh, I'm late getting in. Don't worry about that. But any word on fans for training camp yet? I'd love to go if possible this year. Have we heard anything about that yet, Fred? Whether the fans I, have n- I have not. I heard some early talk. In fact, kind of off the record talking with PR guy and they were saying they were still trying to figure it out because if you've been out to Berea, there's not a lot of room out there and with the protocols they're still keeping in place. They were talking about keeping, keeping people like 20 feet apart. Well, if you're 20 feet apart, there's not going to be room for very many people. So it's going to be a very, very limited lottery, I would think to get in. Um, But I think they're planning on on fans, but no, we haven't we haven't really even got the NFL put out their decree, you know, for the games and so forth. But each team has to come up with their own how they're going to do it. Last year, the Browns decided to tier the whole media as what's called three, which mm-hmm. means nobody in person, no everything Zoom. I know that it's they're they're doing away with the Zoom. And so I think it's going to be more like tier two, but we don't really know exactly how it's all going to go down other than um, it's to be determined. I would expect some of that will come out very quickly, but no word yet on the training camp schedule, you know, as far as for the fans. Okay. Well, as soon as we hear, you will hear on the front page of the OBR. Uh, We'll get that information to you as quickly as we can. Jen of the Sheep with another question. He asks, how many weeks will we have to wait until Chubb gets his contract? Is the over and under five weeks? Um, any thoughts on this? You, you think Chubb gets done that soon, or do you think it drags on into the season a little bit? Hard to say. Um, you know, last year, I think it was July 15th around there is when Miles got his big extension. So that would... I mean, Mayfield's one year apart, so you would think if they're going to do Mayfield, they'd get it done before training camp mm-hmm. starts. I would expect one of those guys. Um, I do think Chubb's kind of, in one way, you don't want him to go into the year without a contract, but just my gut feeling, I had said this, I think he likes being here. I think he wants to be here. He likes being with hunt i know hunt last week you know said pay the man and all that but we talked to chuck during mini camp and he said almost don't want uncertainty i want 
to know what I'm getting into and all that. He knows the coaches. He knows the players. He, he's familiar with his, with Stump Mitchell. He likes him. He likes working with him, Stefanski, Kareem Hunt. I think unless he just doesn't let the, you know, doesn't tell the agent, I want to be here, get it done, he's going to get it done. And I think it's just a matter of I'm pretty confident he's going to get done. And I would think that I would think that he would get done before training camp. I wouldn't be surprised if Hunt and either Chubb or I mean Ward or uh, Mayfield, one of those, one of those guys. If I had my druthers, I'd do Chubb and Teller right now before training camp. And mm-hmm. then you got you got a little time. You got two years with Ward and Mayfield, if you count. Um, this year and next year they both have their option picked up in 2022 and then you can always franchise one of them and so Mm -hmm. i'm more concerned with the guys that are going to walk it's just been my experience when they get into the season on their final contract year it just seems like you know they say okay i want to just wait till the end of the year i don't want to be distracted and then after the end of the year, it's like, oh, it's too close to free agency. I might as well see what, you know, I know what, what I'm going to get here. Let me see what's out there. Somebody blows them away and they leave, you know. So, right. um, you know, that's where I just, the risk taker in me says, find a way to get Nick Chubb done and Wyatt Teller if you can. And then worry about Mayfield and Ward, you know, as, as the time comes. Yeah, they may really want to get a good sense of Drew Forbes, you know, and whether he could fill in for Teller if Teller leaves. Um, that's a difficult decision that needs to be made, which is why Andrew Berry makes a big money. Uh, Jim Jenna the Sheep uh, said that I had a hot take, we Big Ben, and uh, that's what you count on me for are those scorching hot takes every day in the newswire and right here. Hope you enjoy them. Todd Kramer. Writes us, he says, how many receivers do you see making this team? Um, wouldn't that sort of depend on, you know, whether a guy like Hodge makes it through via special teams or Natson or somebody like that? What are your thoughts, Fred? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, last year they kept six wide receivers on the roster, even at the end with injuries. They had guys like Marvin Hall on the active roster, Alexander Hollins on the active roster. Um you know, so when you look at that, they brought back everybody that started the season last year on the roster, including Natson. And so I don't see all those guys making the team this year. I mean, you got OBJ and Landry, Higgins and Peoples Jones and Hodge. And a lot of people forget Hodge was the number three receiver to start the year, and he played behind. Landry and Beckham because he's a better blocker than Higgins. So he was the three receiver and he's a core special teams guy. So you got those, I would say five guys. And then you got to figure out, you know, is Anthony Schwartz is going to be there somewhere. Is he going to be your mm-hmm. kick return guy between Schwartz and Demetric Felton, the running back wide receiver kick returner. Now you got a very versatile guy that's probably going to push a guy like Natson off the team. If if they don't show anything in training camp, that's the only way, in my opinion, they keep Natson. They drafted those two guys, one of them, to replace Natson. And, uh, 
And so I think that they'll have probably six guys. And the thing that's intriguing about Feltrin, he can play running back and wide receiver. So you got that versatility, and that's the key word in today's game is you want versatility. But you're right on with the special teams. You got to play special teams, and that's one thing a guy like Higgins really doesn't do. He he goes out and catches passes, and uh, some of your backup guys have to be special teams players, and so that's where I think Hodge has a big leg up, and uh, Higgins and Peoples Jones. That's five. I don't know if you're going to go beyond six. So that sixth one's probably Schwartz, and then you got, like I said, Felton there who can who can kind of run wide receiver like he was during minicamp. He was practicing with the wide receiver. So, you know, it's going to be – the competition is going to be for these backup spots. It's going to be fierce. The Browns are going to be cutting guys that are pretty good players that used to start for teams like the Browns in rosters past. So I think they're going to keep six. This is what we call dead air. Uh, I think Fred's uh, camera froze, and often as soon as I oh. go to explain that, uh, he comes back miraculously. So I'm waiting for that to Where happen Where did I here. cut off? Uh, doesn't seem to be happening, but uh, we'll see how it goes from, from here on in. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I'll, I had a ton of different questions for Fred, but uh, one question that we can possibly answer is... Uh, I'm here if anybody can hear me. Oh, okay. I'll keep talking if uh, if Barry's end of it. I just thought they couldn't hear me. But as far as some of the questions, I say I saw the one about Clowney. Um, I think that if you count edge rushers and defensive linemen, I I, I think I have them keeping about nine, and because uh, they like to rotate them, I think that. You got Clowney, Clowney and Garrett on the outside with with Curtis Weaver, Porter Gustin, and Tack McKinley, the five edge rushers. You got some versatility with with uh, Garrett can play inside, Clowney can play inside. And then um, on the inside, I think you got Billings and Malik Jackson. And then the backups, you're looking at Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai, and then you're battling, you know, is, is it Malik McDowell? Is it um, Marvin Wilson? And so I think all in all, defensive linemen and defensive edge, nine, maybe ten, depending. If they feel like a guy can't uh, stay on the practice squad. Because the, the problem with putting a guy on a practice squad is they can get signed to another team. And so I think... The draft pick, Togiai, he's pretty safe. Um, I don't know about a Marvin Wilson. They paid a lot of money to keep him, you know, as an undrafted or to get him as an undrafted free agent. That means other teams were after him. So you put him on practice squad and he'll probably get snatched up unless you agree to pay him much more to stay. And so I think there will be a lot of competition. You always have injuries and injuries are the – are the the thing that that will really tell but 
they may, if they feel the defensive line has strength, they may only keep four edge rushers, and that would put Porter Gustin, you know, in direct line with Curtis Weaver. One or the other would make the team. I think they're in competition and will beat out Joe Jackson for that fourth spot. But I think they're high on Weaver, think he can do the job. But training camp, I think, will be big in the preseason with those guys. So anyway, so, when you look at that, when you look at that, uh, I think that nine or ten. Sorry about that. Uh, pr- the producer of uh, the OBR uh, Weekly, uh, my name is Ian. Uh, I have received a message from the uh, web dork. It contains exactly four letters, so you can guess what those letters are. Uh, but I do have the, the questions for today, so I will just field them to Fred real quick, and we will uh, close out this last 10 minutes. Uh, I, so uh, we have... Jim of the Jim of the Sheep, who is uh, here in the chat, also asked some questions on ATI. Uh, do you think the Bengals could cause a few upsets and finish third in the division, or do you think Zach Taylor is on borrowed time there in uh, in Cincinnati? Well, I think um, I don't know if he's on borrowed time. the The Bengals don't like to fire guys until their contracts up because they don't like to pay two coaches. If you remember Marvin Lewis, he only had he usually had teams that went to the playoffs like in his final year of his contract and so then he'd get a renewal and uh and he never got fired when they were down I don't know but I think the Bengals really they have acquired some talent I think the key is is can they protect Joe Burrow um they went out and got the shiny object in Jamar Chase but if Joe Burrow doesn't have time to throw you know it's not going to make any difference the poor guy got you know, he took a beating last year and we all saw him go down for the season. So I think they have to protect him. They got some weapons with Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, and the guys at wide receiver. But when you look at that all said and done, I think they could. I think they could challenge the Steelers for third place as that stands right now. A lot of it depends on injuries and so forth. But I think that, I think that the Bengals are on the rise. I think it will take them a little time, but the key for them is their offensive line and if they're going to be able to create some some time for Burroughs. Yeah, Burrow definitely struggled with the offensive line last year. Uh, interesting that they chose to pass on Panay Sewell. I believe the web dork has uh, ingested enough bourbon to solve his problem. So uh, <laughs> there he is. I will, I will step back behind the shadows uh, and we can finish out this last 10 minutes. All right, back into the darkness with you, uh, and let's uh, let's move on. I'm not sure uh, exactly what happened over the last few minutes, but I'm sure it was awesome as we predicted. You carrying this show over the. Yeah, I just uh, keep talking. <laughs> I thought you said my end was messed up, so I sat here staring until some of our nice listeners said, "You're live, Fred. We hear you." So I just started talking yeah. and answering questions. So, cheer yeah, loss. Yeah. You know, live, uh, live, uh, live uh, video is uh, always exciting, and uh, continues to be. Uh, I want to get to this question. Uh, if you haven't answered it yet, Fred, uh, which is uh, from Walt. He wants to know if you have eradicated the turkey population. If so, did you eat them? And uh, if so, uh, how did you cook them? So important, important information here. It is, and. Uh... You know, I'll actually, yes, I did. And opening day, I called in two for my son and grandson, eight-year-old grandson. And 
and we were able to be successful. And then I went out on my own down to Southern Ohio and was successful. I've been doing about 30 years and I've been very successful. I've, I've, um, I think I've either called in for other people or shot them for myself. I think I'm up to, you know, 60, 70 of them. So, and I've got three of the four for the Grand Slam for anybody that turkey hunts. There's four major in the, in the North America and different parts of the country. We have the Eastern uh, Turkey here, east of the Mississippi, but I've got a Rio Grande from out in Texas and a Merriam's from uh, Montana. Only need to get the one in Florida. So Somebody in Florida can have me come down there and get the Osceola. <laughs> but um, no, uh, we we uh, do kind of like pulled pork, put it in a crock pot, only mm-hmm. put, it's like pulled turkey, put barbecue sauce sometimes or just straight and have it on rice and turkey and gravy, really good. Um, thanks for asking, but yeah, I've smoked <laughs> them. I've done all kinds of things, but I could talk, we could do it, we can do a, a, a hunting show if you want. I'm good at that. Yeah, you'll have to find somebody else to host because my knowledge of hunting is basically I'll non-existent. I know I'll guns are involved. It. Yeah, you can just, I'll just go off the air again and you can just talk hunting for a half hour or so. Hey, uh, we do have some questions coming in from our friends on the uh, ATI and water cooler forums. Uh, let's uh, see if we can jump into uh, a couple of those. Um one of them uh, comes from Kim Dog, and he asks, was Square signed solely as insurance in case the rookies don't pan out, or does he have a legitimate chance to make the 53-man roster? Uh, I, so- think that's good. I think that's good perception is that when you look at his contract, it's not very much. It's like one year, 800000 So he's exactly that, you know, somebody they can plug and play kind of like they had last year with Vincent Taylor, who ended up being pretty good. Um, somebody that if they've got a lot of these young guys, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Malik McDowell, Marvin Wilson, that you don't really know what you have, Togiai, that you have a guy like Square that if you're not totally comfortable from day one, that he's a guy you can put in there. And so, but I think that I think ultimately they're going to go with youth because one of the reasons I think they moved on from Richardson beside the big salary was, you know, his, he was in his thirties and, and he was in the last year of a deal and Billings is, you know, a younger guy, but he's on a one year of his deal. Malik Jackson's in his thirties. He's on a one year deal basically because he has voidable years. So they got to get younger. And so that's where the McDowell's, the Wilson, the Togi come in, Jordan Elliott. I think between those four, they're hoping two of them can emerge and make the team to be the backups behind Billings and Malik Jackson. All right. Uh, I have a question for you, Fred. Um, and it's based off of another article I saw. This time of year, people come up with these, you know, six guys whose hair is too long and five guys who may not make the roster and stuff like that. We call them listicles in the business, you know, list plus article, get it. Uh, but there is one I saw in Bleacher Report, which does a lot of them. Uh, and they said the most overlooked additions to teams across the league was their topic. And they said John Johnson was an overlooked addition to the Cleveland Browns. 
And here in Cleveland, he is certainly not. Everybody knows who he is, and he was a big signing for us and will help remake that defensive secondary. Uh, and, you know, so I, I'm not sure where that comes from. I guess out, outside of town, people may not be aware of who he is or whatever. But, um, you know, other than John Johnson, who do you think, Fred, is going to be the most overlooked addition to this team? Who's going to play that uh, play a big role that no one's thinking of right now? Without really seeing him in pads or hitting, I'm going to say Tacharis McKinley. I saw him and he looks really – I was expecting kind of a chunky guy, and he's not. He's, he's lean and mean, and he's quick. Obviously, with shorts and helmets in minicamp, but he was shooting off the, you know, and he was taking out some seriousness on on the the tackling dummies and stuff. So I think that he could be under the radar with Clowney getting the attention and Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm. I think I said in my defensive end preview he would have more sacks than Clowney this year. I think I had him at eight. That would. Uh... That would be interesting. Uh, not a total shock because Clowney's not gotten all those, you know, that many sacks in, in recent years. But McKinley, uh, that's an interesting choice. Um, uh, I thought you were going to go Curtis Weaver or somebody like that just coming out of left field. But uh, uh, McKinley is is perhaps uh, with the signing of Clowney a bit over, uh, overlooked. Um, well, I was looking at it as impact to the roster, to the team. I don't know if Weaver, right. I think he'll – but I don't know if he's going to come in and make make big. I think he might get a couple sacks, but I don't think he's going to be a big. I think this guy's going to make a big impact. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know if I was going to name anybody else, it might be Anthony Schwartz, just because of the effect I think he'll have in terms of stretching the field and enabling uh, Landry and Odell Beckham to operate in a little bit more space. Uh, and yeah. I don't think that you know that aspect of that particular pick was uh, is really well known. You know, hopefully he'll uh, hopefully he'll stretch his hamstring because he pulled it and didn't wasn't in mini camp and that, right. It doesn't matter if you're four two five, you can't play. So you right. know, hopefully, exactly. hopefully that we'll be able to see him by training camp and not worry about the soft tissue injuries. Um, one last question from the chat room. This comes from Scott. And he asked, how many first-round picks do we have on this team? Uh, I'm looking at the roster right now, and uh, I think the answer is a bunch of them. Uh, I'm guessing 9 or 10 uh, at this point, if you include Tack McKinley, David Njoku, Clowney. There's a whole bunch of former first-round picks on on this team, Fred. And uh, uh, we could have said that in the past, but it would all be guys like uh, Corey Coleman who – was just sticking around the team because they didn't want to admit their mistake. These are legitimate first-round picks who are on this squad right now. Well, and that's that's Andrew Barry's M.O. Like, if you look in free agency, guys coming into their second contract. Think of last year, Carl Joseph was a former first-round pick of the Raiders, and he became available. They were talking to Gary and Conley, who was a first-round pick, had an injured ankle and never as – you know, they backed off from, but another one, Malik McDowell. Now he wasn't a first round pick, but he was 35th, I think overall. So that's like third pick in the second round. 
And so those are the type of guys they're open to catch because there's a reason. And they were picked in the first round because are untapped potential. So hopefully it's some of them guys. But yeah, you look around there, you have a lot of talent on this team. You know that we haven't seen in in the thirty plus years I've covered the Browns, I have not seen this much talent on a roster. Now it's can you get it all molded into one unit? Yep, yep. And Joe Woods especially will have that as a challenge this year with all the turnover on defense. Well, that is it for us. Tonight, uh, another hour of OBR Weekly in the books. I would like to thank everybody in our chat room and in the forums who contributed with their questions. Uh, and thanks, as always, Fred, for putting up with me and uh, carrying this show once again. No problem. Enjoyed it. Thanks for all <laughs> of you people that were checking it out. All right. Great. We'll see you next Tuesday here on OBR Weekly. Bye. <laughs>